we have some ladies in the house? Excellent. We love God's ladies here for sure. So let's go ahead and get praying right now. Get right to business. Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you continue to teach us as a church. I thank you for how you use us as a church. Uh, We want to honor you in everything that we do. We thank you for your word that guides us and, and really instructs us on what true godly living is. And I pray that we will take those messages to heart and live them out for your glory. And so we praise you and we thank you in your awesome name. Amen. All right, you know, I was thinking about uh, the topic of women this week, since we're in our essential series, we're looking at essential design, and as I reflected, uh, I I realized pretty quickly that no creature has probably been required to go through more evolution in 100 years than females in our culture. I mean, legitimately, I I, I was thinking about this even as I was watching this special recently, Ken Burns did, on the Prohibition Movement. And and of course, that was very tightly woven with uh, kind of the the women's rights movement and that kind of thing early on as far as fighting for the right to vote and things like that. And so you take that period of time and basically this roughly 100-year span, and there's been a lot that has happened. And so women have sort of gone from this this position of a a bit more oppressed, lacking in rights, lacking in opportunities, to then being liberated. But then with the liberation, we found a certain level of confusion. Right? And I think that always happens when there's a major shift within the culture. There is always bound to be some level of confusion because people are going to look and say, well, what are the new boundaries? And what is okay and what is not okay? What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? People getting past their conscience, people getting past their bigotry, their biases, and some people then overcorrecting those and wanting to pretend like there is no difference in the equation, and it creates this level of confusion. I mean, as I reflected on it even more, and I thought about the fact of my two daughters, whom, again, I love, and I think about their future, but I started thinking in terms of, like, I wonder how confusing it is even for them to know what is the greatest value that a woman can hold in culture today. I mean, should their greatest aspiration be, I want to be a career woman, or should their greatest aspiration be, I want to be a homemaker? And, 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 and do they feel bad if one of those they aren't willing to pursue, don't desire to pursue, don't feel led to pursue? I mean, does it create a burden in them that says, well, there's enough confusion, there's enough muddy water um, that I don't know what to do? Because I think there are times out there that says, well, to be most fulfilled as a woman today, you must fill in the blank. You must go to college or you're not going to be fulfilled as a woman. You must have independence or you're not going to feel fulfilled as a woman. Or you must stay home or you're not going to feel, be fulfilled as a woman. You must have children or you won't be fulfilled as a woman. And, and so I look at all of that and I go, I, 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 I hurt at times for women because I think there's confusion. I do. And, and, and not to say that one is more right and one is more wrong. That's really not my heart at all. But I want to make sure that we understand what is God's heart, what is God's design, what is God's best. I think especially this is a valuable discussion in the church. Because the Bible does speak to the topic. I also acknowledge that in Christian history, we have not always done this well, understanding the role of women and the function of women and God's design for women. I think men sometimes being so much in charge lost sight of things. 
And so what better way to handle this today than to have me, a man, speak on the topic of women, right? So, um, hey man, okay, I'm, I am not a woman, but I am married to one. I have two that I'm raising. I, I feel like I can have some contribution. And I had somebody come to me and say, so do you want the target on the front or on the back today? And, and I said, no, 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 no target today. I think we're good today. But in two weeks, I will probably have to look for another job. But today, we're good. We're totally good. So I, I, I think we're safe and we're going to have a little bit of fun in the process and try to understand God's best for ladies, right? That, that understanding of what is biblical, what is holy, and what is equally understanding and encouraging, right? That's, that's really what we want to do as we look at this topic today. And, uh, and, and you know, again, I, I think it's important for a number of reasons, but I think the most important thing in it is that if God says, this is what I delight in, we want to delight in God. I mean, that's really the heart. It's not so much about feminism or chauvinism or equality. I, you know, I, I think those are valuable discussions. I really do. But at the end of all discussions for those who follow Jesus, our heart should be whatever God wants is what I want. You know, whatever God says is best is what is best. And I, I want to come to, to own that truth. And it doesn't have to be put into certain categories. If anything, we looked last week at this idea of a compatibilistic view that identifies, hey, different by design for God's glory. And we want to live in the context of that with sensibility and mostly with biblicism. That is our heart. And so if you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to the book of Titus chapter 2. We are in the book of Titus chapter 2. Now, uh, when you go through the section on the women, uh, it's going to be the older women and the younger women. And then in this context, it's going to talk about husbands and children and things like that. We're not going to get into that today. All right. We're going to deal with all of the other values and virtues of older and younger women. We're not going to deal with things that pertain to being a wife. Uh, we're going to wait two weeks for that. So last week was men. This week is women. Next week will be uh, husbands, and the week after that will be wives, and then finally we'll end on family, home, children, that kind of thing. So we're just looking at the values of older and younger women. And as we do this, recall what Titus has to deal with and what Paul's encouraging. Right? Titus goes into this very rough environment, very difficult environment that is either suffering from too much license or too much legalism. And what Titus needs to bring to the table is grace, that we do everything by grace. It is through the strength of grace. It's grace that transforms. So what we don't want to do with this list of virtues is turn them into rules that you're judged by. Right? That is not the heart behind any of this. As soon as we start doing this, we're legalists. We're the very false teachers that Paul has to fight in Crete. That's not our heart. What our heart is to say, here's God's best, and by grace, we can do that. As men, everything we learned last week, you can do by grace. Not by your own merit, but by grace. And the same for ladies. It's to say, this list of things is to be accomplished by grace. I can't say enough about grace. I cannot tout the gospel enough because my fear is we try to do too many things in our own strength and then we're shocked that either A, we don't do them or B, we judge others for not doing them to the standard we see fit to hold them to. And, and that's, that's not a good recipe for anything healthy. What's healthy is recalling that grace transforms, grace teaches. Grace shapes us from the inside out into being right kinds of men and right kinds of ladies. And so that's Paul's heart 
in all of this, that grace is shaping. And so as grace shapes, he speaks to the ladies and he starts with the older ladies. And to the older ladies, he reminds them, encourages them, kind of presses them lovingly to this idea that they are to live Shirley Temple. Love Shirley Temple, right? And yes, it's spelled that way on purpose. All right, so here you go. It says to the older women, likewise, they are to be reverent in behavior. Reverent in behavior. And this is a great word in its original language. This word reverent is rare. It's the only time it comes up like this in the New Testament. And what it means is that godly, older Christian women, by the way, you can be 25 or 30 or 35 if you have a younger woman in your life, and by that virtue, you can play this older woman role where you are to be literally like a priestess in the temple. That's the idea behind it. So you wake up every day and you say, surely as I live, I am a woman of the temple of God. That is what my calling is as an older woman to younger women. That is my calling as an older woman to other older women. And here's the value, I think, in understanding this. And I I love the idea. It says that your priority is not so much being a good person or a moral person or an ethical person. That's going to be assumed. But you have to think about a woman of the temple, one that surely dwells where God dwells. The emphasis and the focus and the passion was the presence of God. It was worship. It was glorifying God. It was dwelling before His presence. And so, as godly women who are reverent, the focus is, I want to dwell with God. As Brother Lawrence famously wrote a book, I want to practice his presence. See, that's a different thing. It doesn't take much to be a woman that says, here's the rules. Here are the guides. Here are the standards. Here's what we think is proper and improper. That's not hard. But for a woman who says, you know what, I am motivated by the presence of God. I am motivated by wanting to dwell with Him. I'm motivated by His glory. I'm motivated by worship. I just want more of Him in my life. I want to make much of Jesus. Man, that woman is massively attractive to everybody in her life. I don't know about you, but I've definitely met both men and women where um, there's the ones that are desperate for God. And then they're the others who are just rule keepers. Right? And and they sound like rule keepers. They sound very holy and very righteous. But you, you start to listen and it sounds a lot more like it's about what we do and do not do than it is about God who has done all for us. And see, what the church desperately needs are those who dwell with God, those who practice His presence, those who really go, He, he, he is my, my focus. Not just the list, not just the rules. See, there really is two kinds of things. There's reverend religion, which is godless godliness. It's godless godliness. Did you know people can be godly without any form of God really in that legitimately? Right? Paul talks about this actually to Timothy. He says there are some who are false, and he says they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. You know what that is? Godless godliness. That's all that is. 
God's a poster child. God in theory, but not God in presence, God in power, God in packing. It's just, it's just not that. And I know in my life there have been those women who have made a tremendous impact on my life. Because I go, wow, you, you hang with God. You, you really know Him. You get this thing. Faith for you isn't a theory. It's a practice. And saying that you really spent time with God is legitimate when you speak it. Man, that's the stuff that an older woman brings to the table. The Paul says, if that is true in your church, in your context, it is the right thing. It's not reverend religion. It's reverent gospel. God desperate. I think it's so easy at times to get so busy. Um, practicing the presence of God is actually just a chore on a list of, like, I do my quiet time kind of thing. Right? I, I think we're all susceptible to this. But by God's grace, especially for the much older women, uh, you've been even freed up maybe in life. You're not raising your kids anymore. You're an empty nester or you're retired or up the ladder. You have more opportunity even to dwell and then when we come together, that you just radiate that. You think about that with Moses. He goes up on the mountain, right? And he comes down and he's just glowing. And some of you ladies, you glow with the presence of God. And, and you know what? People are drawn to that. And that's good. That's what we need. That's what the church benefits from. Reverent gospel women. And so Paul starts off this list the women by saying, ah, first and foremost, dwell in the presence of God. And here's the thing. If you dwell in the presence of God, everything else falls into place. It just does. I know in my own life, I could be doing everything right, but if I'm not making time for God, if I'm not making time to dwell with Jesus, pretty soon the wheels on the wagon start to kind of wobble, and it's not going well, no matter what else I do, because there's something about the presence of God in my life that shapes everything to be right. And if I'm just trying to tuck them into my schedule, it just, it just sort of becomes routine, and that gets old. No different than in your marriage, or in your relationship with friends or your kids, same thing. If you're not investing, it just sort of gets old. And so the presence of God, that is the key. The older ladies, they live surely, temporally, starts positive, be this. But then immediately, Paul's going to move in somewhat of a negative direction. And so he says also to the older ladies, don't be a she-devil. So... Surely dwell in the temple of God and certainly don't be a she-Satanist. All right, don't do that. In fact, he literally says they are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous. Right? Not slanderous. This word literally in, in its original language is diabolos. Diabolos. He says, women, don't be di diabolos. Don't be sinister, don't be slanderous, don't be diabolical, right? Don't do these kinds of things because they are radically destructive at a number of levels, right? And so he says, no, do us a favor, don't, don't do this. In fact, I'm going to highlight some things that happen in the slanderous world. And I think Paul's on to something. We all know that uniquely women have a propensity to do this at times. And I don't think anybody's going to shoot me for that, all right? I don't, you might slander me for it, but you're not going to shoot me. All right, so... Um, 
All right, so why do you not want to be slanderous? Ladies, why older women, you don't want to do this first because it keeps you from the presence of God. If you're to be reverent, dwell in His presence, but you choose to slander, you build a wall, and you will not have a sense of proper presence in your life. It is impossible. In fact, Psalm 15, verses 1 through 3, it says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? In other words, who will hang out with you? Who will bathe in your presence? It says, He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. He says, I want to dwell in the presence of God. I want to be reverent in that way. Awesome. Don't slander, because if you slander, it breaks off the presence. Right? It, it just invites this. And, and it's a very interesting thing because, again, it doesn't just affect you and God. It starts to affect a lot of things. And, and the more that becomes true, the, the more maybe you, you give in to slander, the more distant you become from God relationally and the more other things are going to start venting out too. And so he's really clear, man, it's going to affect the presence of God. The second reason you don't want to be a she-devil, it's just flatly pagan. It's just pagan. I love the word pagan, too. I couldn't wait to use it, so I used it. All right. But here, here, Romans 1, he's really talking about the pagans in Romans 1. He's saying, hey, man, they've denied their one true creator. They've worshipped the things that are created. They've missed the boat. They just make idols, or they bow down to these idols. And the fruit of that is certain uh, vices or problems in their life. And he says in Romans 1, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. They are gossips slanderers and haters of God. Now, I, I looked at that and I, I thought, man, it's so interesting that he places slander and God hatred side by side. side by, I mean, because, we, and we all know, I mean, slander's not right. We know slander's not good, but again, slander means devil. Really, diabolos is devil. That's how it's also translated in the New Testament. No wonder devil and hatred of God go side by side. Slander is demonic. Slander is devilish. Slander is hatred of another. And if they bear the image of God, in some ways, it's even a hatred of God. So, he says, don't, because it's just a pagan response. Tempting. I know, there are times where people have wounded us, people have offended us, and the temptation is to slander them. But we have to go, wait, slandering is next to hating. Hating God. I don't want to, don't be hating. That's the bottom line, all right? Don't be hating. Because, man... There, there, there's this, this reality that when, when we do that, it testifies louder than any testimony we have about Christ. Did you realize that? When we slander, especially if we claim the name of Christ and we slander somebody, that is the loudest testimony we proclaim. That's the thing that will stick. That is the thing that will carry. That is almost like this anti-gospel, bad news. And that will carry. And so he says, no, ladies, don't, don't do that. It's a, it's a pagan thing to do. Third, not only is it pagan, it's just dumb. It's dumb. Proverbs chapter 10 and Proverbs chapter 20. Whoever, uh, whoever utters slander is a fool. That's not a nice word, by the way. Literally, in Proverbs, fool means stupid, dim-witted. It's poopy. Don't do that, all right? As my wife says, they're being a poop. Yep, that's what they're being, honey. All right, so... 
says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. Right? What are they doing? Babbling. That's all they're doing. We don't want that. Don't need that. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's not right. It's dumb. And then add all of this, it's cruel. It says, let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt them down, the violent woman or man, speedily. See, I don't think we typically think of slander as an act of violence. But that's, that's all this is saying. Then when we slander, we're engaged in violence. We're engaged in character assassination. We're just trying to harm them, hurt them, destroy them. And it says, man, may, may something come and consume them quickly because it's just violent. It's cruel. Right? And, and again, like I said, I think this is one of those areas that just as men have temptations they need to wrestle with, it's an area that women are, have a unique temptation at times that they have to wrestle with. Am I sharing too much? Am I saying too many things? Am I revealing things I shouldn't? Am I doing this for wrong motives or right motives? And if my motives are right, is there a better way I should handle this? Right? I mean, it's those kinds of things to wrestle with because it really does do harm. Came across a great Danish proverb this week. Apparently, they don't just make uh, pastries. They actually have things to say. And... Um, It says this, slander expires at a good woman's door. Slander expires at a good woman's door. And, and, and I think that's just a perfect way of seeing it. Because, again, slander isn't just use of the mouth. Slander is also use of the ears. All right? So just because you go, I don't slander, but I just don't say anything when other people slander, you're, you're contributing. Right? So the next time you have somebody, you're at Starbucks, and they begin to slander, if you just go, probably offend them, but it would work. Um, or if you say, you're just being a poopy, as my wife would say, uh, that would work. I, I think there's a gracious way to deal with it and to do it, but I, I think it's to try to put yourself in the shoes of the one being slandered. Right? Put yourself in the shoes of the one being gossiped about. Put yourself in the shoes of the one you're putting on the prayer chain right then. All right? And, and say, how is this going to be good for them? In fact, a long time ago I came across this and it kind of refreshed this week. It's a simple little idea of think. Think. All right? Think. Is it true? Is what I am saying true? Is what I am hearing true? How do I know if I'm hearing it, if it's true? My guess is you don't know if it's true if you're just hearing it secondhand. Is it true? Now, there are some things that are true and should concern, and then there's a way we should go about that. But, but I realize more often than not, what we take as truth from others who are engaged in gossip or slander is usually half the story, part of the story, a spun story, a made-up story, a broken story, a game of telephone story. It's not the story. Right? It's just usually not the story. And the people will say, but if it's true, wouldn't you be offended? I'm like, sure, I'd be offended if I was suddenly impaled by a unicorn, but they're not true either. So, you know, I don't, if, I don't, I, why, if it's true, yes, I don't know if it's true, so I don't know. And I should be careful because, again, it's somebody's reputation at stake. Right? That's why we want to make sure. Is it true? Next, is what I'm sharing or hearing helpful? Is it helpful? 
Is it going to bring aid? Is it going to bring encouragement? Is it going to help a person get out of a bad circumstance or poor decisions or whatever else? Is it helpful? I mean, just that alone can stop a lot of things. Third, is it inspiring? I know that seems weird because sometimes we have to deal with things like, well, how do I turn this into an inspiring thing? But, but equally, it's, I'd rather look and say, how do I, if, if it's a person that would go, oh, did you hear what she's doing? Um, that I would rather approach that from the perspective of how can we help get her out of that, inspire her to something different, see her make different decisions in life. That's a much better route than if the way the message is communicated is cutting and critical and condescending. And oh, did you hear what she's doing? Oh, yes, I heard too. Blah, 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 you know, whatever. Right? So it's better to be inspiring. It's easy to be critical. Easy to be critical. I, I know I, in talking to different women over the course of years, I'll even talk about this weird pecking order competition that goes on with women. Uh, and, and it starts like in high school and they just, well, junior high really, let's be honest. Uh, okay, fifth grade. Oh, third. All right, whatever it is. So, um, yeah, fine. From the womb. All right, so. Um, and, and this competition cr- can create some of that. Right? And so all the more you have to kind of put flesh in check and say, is it inspiring as opposed to critical or cutting or condescending or just trying to elevate me by devaluing them? Whatever it is, is it inspiring? Next, is it necessary? Is it necessary? What, what we're talking about, is it necessary? Or am I just blowing time because we have nothing better to do? We have coffee, we've run out of conversation about our kids, let's talk about that mom, you know? Is it necessary? Whatever it is. And then last, is it kind? Is it kind? Simple things with this. Would you want anybody to speak about you to others like this? Would you want to be in those shoes? Right? Or high heels or pumps. I'll make it female shoes. All right. So, would you want to be that? Would you want people sitting around discussing your parenting, your marriage, your decisions, your mistakes in the way maybe you are doing. You probably won't. Nobody would. Right? So, again, this one, in a particular way, I spend more time on because uh, of just the fact that it has, it has debris. And especially in a smaller community, it has debris. Right? I mean, you know, again, I, I'm, I don't fit into this, obviously, because I'm a male. But I've spent four years in Duval. I've had plenty of things said about me. Crazy things, you know? I'm waiting for the, hey, did you hear he did get impaled by a unicorn next? You know what I mean? Because it's like, you know, like, wow, I, some of those things I, I, I've never even, even dared think, say, do what you say I've done. Right? And, and so it just has this debris banging behind when people live that way. And so all the more, as God's ladies, especially the older, wiser, more seasoned, you've seen this. He says, to you, don't, don't do that. And so, don't be she-devils. Next, he says to the older ladies, gush, don't lush over Jesus, all right? Gush, don't lush. He says, not slaves to much wine, all right? On the island of Crete, hard, heavy drinking was a virtue. It's much like Ireland today. So, it's not, the Irish are like, that's not funny. But when can we get out of here so I can have a beer? All right, so, um, 
No, but I mean, it was just, that was the thing. It's like if you could drink a lot, that was a virtue. And so you have this alcoholism problem on Crete, and that's really what's going on here. Paul does not say, older women, do not drink. This is not abstentionism. This is not saying you are to be teetotalers. It is a dry community. It doesn't say that. It says what? Don't be enslaved to much wine. Don't be a drunk. Don't use it for escapism. Right? That's what he's saying. And there was the temptation for the older ladies. It's like they're empty nesters. Their days are maybe not as full as they used to be. And so why not just a little dip into the bottle? And that's, you know, get through the day. Maybe it's, uh, I'm married to that guy. Right? I get it. Or maybe it's a younger woman saying, yeah, those two little boys, the ones with the horns growing out of their skull, those are my kids. Right? So I get it. I totally get it. If, if Damien and Damien's twin were my sons, I would drink probably, right? So any number of things. But again, we know that in our culture, alcohol can be an escape. And, and there is the risk of that, right? There is the risk of, you know, you're not in a great marriage. And so he comes home and you're hoping you have a good set in buzz by the time he gets home to hopefully make the marriage a little more pleasant, right? You hope that. Or, or, you know, maybe it is just kids or life stresses or finances or things didn't work out the way you wanted them to. Or you're dealing with demons of your past and things that have wounded you. And so you dive into the bottle to deal with the hurt. I don't know what it is. I've run into this a lot more in churches than you would think. Of women who, again, husbands go off to work and they're home and they, they start chasing because they just need to suppress stuff. And, and, and so it's even in this context that he says, no, 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 you need a sobriety about you, right? To have a sobriety. Do not be enslaved to this. It's fine to have wine. It's fine to have beer. It's fine to have mixed drinks. It's fine to have a drink with an umbrella out of it. If you're a woman, um, <laughs> you're a man, and you drink anything out of a pineapple or with an umbrella, I'm going to find you and beat you up, all right? So... <laughs> Unless you're in the tropics, then eh, it's on the fence. All right, so, um, but for the most part, right, it's fine to consume if your conscience is free to consume, but don't abuse, don't become enslaved. And I, I think we could take this, I think applicably, and go beyond and say, hey man, don't be enslaved too much and fill in the blank. Right? There's a lot of things that you can become enslaved to that have the exact same focus as alcohol. Right? It's designed to numb. It's designed to, to cause us not to have to focus on it. Escapism, whatever it is, might be food. Don't have too much food as escapism. Don't spend too much as escapism. Don't take on every hobby in the world so you don't have to focus on real life. Don't bury yourself in a book all the time, perpetual, all day, every day, so you don't have to face reality. Don't be enslaved to anything. Here it was alcohol, but there's many things that we use to, to run from the problems of life. And so Paul says, man, as a godly older woman, make sure you don't run, chase to suppress. Don't be enslaved. If anything, he says in Romans 6, we're slaves to Christ. Be a slave to Christ. Right? That is the value of a godly older woman. Another thing he says to the older ladies, know your syllabus. Know your syllabus. It says they are to teach what is good? And what does Paul mean by good in Titus? Does he mean just ethics and morals and values? No. Matter of fact, we would say it this way. Good equals gospel-rooted, grace-empowered obedience. 
gospel-rooted, grace-empowered obedience. For Paul, that is good. The false teachers had a whole extra list of what made you good. You would be all of these things and then be good. And Paul says, that's not good. What's good is gospel. What's good is grace. What's good is being motivated by God's glory. That's good. And so as older women, you can encourage the younger women who have a propensity to be legalists, mind you, that it's actually about gospel and grace. I, I remember when we had our kids and we first started parenting, we parented under the law. We parented under Moses joyfully. Right? Don't do this. Don't do that. Make sure you do this. Stop that. Stop that. Stop that. I said stop that. I'm going to count to three. I mean five. I mean ten. I mean twenty. Stop it. Right? La, 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 la. And you have the older women going, oh, but what about, what about grace? And we're like, that's for weak people. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> you don't know what I'm dealing with. All right? So, but, but they would bring it back to, you know, it's so easy to get caught in the minutia at times that the older women go, oh, but, but here's the very bedrock of our faith. It's grace and gospel and God gives you what you need to get through this and I know today with the kids screaming around the house and they're sick and you're tired that it feels like you just have to clamp down in law but don't worry this too shall pass older women say just like older men do and they bring wisdom that says no it's it's okay don't don't forget to to really be engaged in good and real good is gospel rooted real good is grace centered and empowered that's that's good I think this is maybe a special note to make sure you know your syllabus and know that the good is gospel and grace. Um, Because there's a lot of outlets for advice today. I mean, just a lot of outlets for, quote, good advice. And, And some of that, quote, good advice isn't really good, by biblical definition, advice. It may be common sense advice. It may be... Uh, some specialist said so advice, maybe some poll said so advice, some research project said advice, whatever, but, but really biblically centered good advice, that, that's where you can be the vehicle for that. That you can be that voice that sort of is, is a counter to all of the opinions that orbit, that say this is what makes you a good woman, this is what makes you a valuable woman, this is what makes you a unique woman, this is what makes you a liberated woman, whatever. You can bring that says, okay, maybe some of that's good, maybe some of it's bad, but here's what God says about you. Right? That kind of thing. That has value. And so older ladies, know your syllabus, know your doctrine, know your Bible. That's a simple way of putting it. Right? Know what it says and impart that into other ladies' lives. In fact, this builds into the next idea to the older ladies. Think super nannies for Jesus. That's all you need to do. All right? Just think like you're a super nanny. In fact, that's why Paul goes on and he says, and so encourage their younger women too, right? So the older women are to be these things and encourage the younger women to do certain things. If you ever watch Super Nanny, she's raising the parents way more than the kids, right? The kids are all psycho because the parents, psycho, right? So she's got to grab the parents. She's got to house them so they can house the kids and it all works. And so the older women Man, this is the value supremely you bring to the church. You are the super nannies of all of us young folks. I'm kind of in the middle, I know, but you're the super nannies. You are. And you have the pleasure, you have the opportunity, you have the joy to teach, to give, to impart. And I want to say to the younger women in the the house this morning, you have a tremendous opportunity that you may not be tapping in the older women of this church. I mean, really, I, I, I think some of you younger ladies, 
what you would so benefit from is an older woman in your life. Five years older, ten years older, twenty years older, just depends. But one that could really just love you, care about you, invest into you, encourage you, as we're going to see here in a second, and just, just bring that centering to your life. In fact, we have this great kind of program that's just been developed called Solace Connect. And, and, and it's where there's a group of older women that say, hey, we want to be mentors. And now they're looking for younger women to be a part of that. Other women may say, I want to be a mentor to somebody. Uh, we encourage you to sign up for that as the older and the younger ladies of the church out at the regroup table. There's some of the information for that. If you'd like to be a part of that. Also, on Saturdays, they're having this coffee and conversation which is totally designed for older and younger women to come together and have encouragement, right? To, to just see this fulfilled. And so I, I do. I want to, to press a, a, upon you to do that. In fact, even my daughter, uh, Honor, who's 15, right? So she has her mom, but then actually she also has a woman in her life, uh, Kara Brown, who also makes an investment into Honor's life. And, you know, Kara's like way cooler, hipper than mom and dad, right? So um, you've got like mom and dad, you've got Kara, you got Honor, and, and she gets to play that role. And Kara's in her mid-20s, but gets to play the role of the older woman in my daughter's life. And it makes a huge impact. So, women connect to women in this model of older, younger, older ladies training the younger ladies. So Paul says a lot to the older ladies. And he says it so that they can help pour in to the younger ladies. And now he moves into the younger ladies. And like I said, we're going to skip some of the features for a couple of weeks. And we're going to get right into the first one that kind of applies to all. And so he says to the young ladies, embrace three powerful words. Wait, stop, and know. Embrace. Three powerful words. Literally, he says, they are to be self-controlled. To the younger women, be self-controlled. And um, there's, there's a lot of value behind this. A ton. In fact, I'm going to break this down a little bit. Go ahead and bring up this. Click it again there. I want to have you understand these wait, stop, no ideas. How they're valuable. All right? Uh, bring up, go ahead and click the first one. That right there. That is a great message for young women all across America. All right? Just wait. And not just the single young ladies that go off to college to get a credit card and they realize they can buy anything with that card. It's also to the young married women who say, we just bought a house. Let's stock it at 13%. Right? So, just, just, just learning the idea, the practice of wait. It's going to be so valuable because we live in a time and a culture that says you can have everything right now. And especially women that have good taste, cha-ching, have good taste, all the more. Say, ah, oh, there's value in, in waiting at that level. Also, another thing is stop, like texting while you drive, all right? So, no, I, I, this happened to me like ah, three weeks ago. I'm driving. There's this girl texting. We almost collide. She gives me the finger for her texting. Like, you got to be kidding me, right? You know, and just no discretion, no whatever. And, you know, it's just like, just, just, just stop. Matter of fact, I, I want to go a step further for younger women. Um, in, in all seriousness, really be aware of your life environment. I mean, really be aware. Have high 
values for yourself, have high priorities for yourself, have high thresholds of, I don't want to do anything that risks my life, somebody else's life, our future, whatever, just and say, man, I'm I'm not not going to go to this party. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to continue with this relationship. I'm going to stop. I want to preserve my own mental health for the future. I want to stop now. Right? And again, it's probably no different for women than it is for, for men, or at least boys and girls in the teen and 20 years, which is you put more of them together and the IQ drops, right? It's really not going to be different. Boys get a lot further down the line. Um, but there's value in a younger woman say, oh, okay, the word stop is, is, a, is a good word. It's a good practice. And then, no. I think I can just move on. Um, That's why we go back to high standards, all right? Go back to last week. You young women down here, over here, over there. Young women, here is my ultimate piece of advice. Do not settle for a good guy. Settle for a good man. A good man will treat you right. A good guy, eh. You don't know what you're going to get. There's no guarantees. Good men. Matter of fact, even in general, I I think for younger women to learn to say no is a great thing. It's a good word. And and not just because, you know, there's going to be the sexual things or whatever. We'll get into that in a second. I think just in in general, I I, I was, we were talking about something regarding women. And they they were saying that women have a tougher time in general saying no to taking too much on their plate, expanding their schedules, becoming responsible to even more tasks. No is hard for some women. And so you'll benefit. As a younger woman, learning to have boundaries, say no, no one enough's enough, that kind of thing. And don't bring that guy home. Daughters, do not bring that guy home. I know, he's handsome and all, but he's dangerous, all right? He's like, I know, he's, stop, I'm worried. All right, so, um, I'm suddenly not winning this battle, like, my 15-year-old daughter, all right, so, all right, so, powerful words, right? Powerful words are way Stop and no to him. No, him. All right. So next to the younger ladies, go girls gone godly. We're going to turn this thing upside down. All right. Go girls gone godly. What do I mean by this? He says pure to the younger women remain pure. Now I am going to tell you younger women something right now. Sex is a poker game and you have all the high cards. Let it stick, all right? You have all the high cards. In other words, um, it's going to rest with you a lot what does or does not happen. Because the average boy, we talked about him last week, right? He, he I mean, just testosterone is jetting through his body, all right? Um, purity in your dating relationships, in your young lives, is going to rest heavily, unfortunately, on you. It's not what I would choose. I don't say that to be, you know, trite. I say it to be frankly honest. That as young women, purity is going to rest heavily on, on you making decisions. All right? And, and here's another thing I'm going to tell you. Um, if you use sex as a young woman, you will get what you want. You will. Until he gets what he wants. And then it starts to go sideways. 
in a huge majority of cases, that's what happens. And so young women will say, well, I'm going to do this because I I don't want to lose him. I'm going to do this because he says he loves me. I'm going to do this because this is what he wants. And you think you're going to get what you want. And for a season, you might. But then you're going to pick up all of this added baggage and damage and frustration and hurt. And it's just, it's not going to go well internally for you. I mean, that's always going to be the reality. I think what makes this hard for young women today is you look at what it takes to create celebrity nowadays, right? Kim Kardashian, it's only when she releases a sex tape, she becomes a celebrity, right? It's like every, every one of these cast of characters, they leverage the sexuality so heavily, and then from that, they become rich, well-known, familiar to everybody. I'm like, what, what did you do? Oh, you did that. Okay. <laughs> it's a tragic thing because, again, while I don't think they're role models in any way, they become uh, banners, routes that people go, I-, I can take that route. Or it's not that big a deal. And so as young women, it's protect that. I would say to the younger single women of our church, uh, some things to think about that, that you go, man, I want to guard this. Um, things that are prevalent. In church, out of church, doesn't matter. Uh, This stuff is so familiar to both environments. Uh, You know what? Every boy in America would love for you to sext him. He's not going to say no. Right? There's going to be a pressure to do that. Don't. Because here's the thing about texting that's now turned into sexting. Um, It's really easy to do. Right? All of your inhibitions are reduced because, again, you're not face-to-face. So the temptation is higher to do that, to leverage that, to get what you think you want, not really thinking about whether it's what you need. And so be sensitive about that. Moms, dads, I'm just going to tell you, you should check their text messages. Now I know some go, no, so violating. Stop it. Stop it. I think you should develop trust. I think you should be honest to see, you know, honey, I'm going to check your text messages. Don't lie. Right? Don't be a snoop. That's not what I'm saying. Saying, be real honest. You're going to have this, and I'm going to check it. Love you. Right? So, that's all I'm talking about. Because temptation's high. I mean, you were all teenagers once. Oh, yeah. All right, I could go Catholic on that. So, right? So, you know. Right? You know. You do know. All right. So, uh, make sure uh, you're aware of that. But I'd also say, you know, aside from things like sexting and flirting and you know, all of these kinds of things you can happen to be cautious with. Even married young women have to be careful, right? I, I think all married women need to be careful. Uniquely, we're talking about the younger women. Uh, it's really easy to, you know, you get married and go, this isn't the guy I thought I was going to have, and I wish I had something different, and I have this old boyfriend in high school, and we just became friends on Facebook, and he texts me every once in a while. It's just emails, and it's no big deal. Uh-huh. That's, you're, you're, go ahead. Just light yourself on fire while you're at it, because, you know, you're dealing with danger. You know, you are. And I, I've met young women that are saying that, well, we're just friends. He doesn't see it that way. I mean, he might want to just be your friends, but if there's a benefit with that, he'll take it. He will. And so be sensitive about the relationships and friendships you have, even as a married woman with your neighbors, your neighbor's husband. But be careful. You start creating that, oh, that guy's better than my guy thing. Be careful. Because you don't even know when you start trying to 
fish out for more. So, girls, go godly. Next, to the younger ladies, he says, avoid mean girl syndrome. Avoid mean girl syndrome. In other words, he says, be kind. Be kind. Now, from an early age, this stuff gets imparted. In fact, we have some diagrams this week. All right, got two girls. BFFs, right? Love BFFs. Okay. Uh, best friends forever. And then a boy enters the mix. And they both like the boy. Hearts are a flutter. Everything is great. Well, then what happens next? He chooses only one of you. All right? And now they're in love. But this girl over here, she has new opinions. All right? So... <laughs> She's got feelings, right? And same color, different emotions. All right, so, and she then finds somebody else. She finds another friend to gang up on said girl, right? And the weird thing about this is like the other friend probably didn't even hate the first friend. It's like this other friend's like, well, I hate Jan. Well, why do you hate Jan? Because Stephanie hates Jan. Why does Stephanie hate Jan? I don't know, but she hates her, so I hate her too. We have a coalition. You know? And so it just, it just works that way. And it's not kindness. Then what they do, go ahead and the next thing, they use their laser vision to melt her um, and destroy her life, right? Mean girl syndrome. And then this just carries through in life. So you can go to the next slide over here. There we go. So this happens in a lot of ways. We have a list of things where this is just mean girl syndrome. Things that get in. If you get bitter or you act on bitterness, that's just mean girl syndrome. Gossip, social avoidance, you just don't even look at them, you act like you didn't see them, right? That kind of stuff. That goes into adulthood where this goes on. Things like gloating over their failures, right? That is a mean girl syndrome. Nasty looks, intimidation, Facebook slander, text bullying, emails. I'll tell you now, if there's somebody you don't like, why do you think you'll solve it with an email? Right? Honestly, like when we're like, oh, she made me so upset, so I wrote her an email. Yeah, that's going to go awesome, all right? Um, it never goes well. And just, this is a simple, this is a freebie because you showed up, Marlowe and email, do not mix, all right? So just because you came, all right? Um, undermining friendships, right? Trying to steal a friend from a friend because you're mad at the friend. This happens for adults, all right? Just as much as it does for youth. Don't give in to mean girl syndrome. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. A lot of mean girl syndromes born out of some offense, for the most part. Right? They hurt you, so you're going to hurt them. Don't give in to that. Say no to that. And then last, to the younger ladies, remember that your reputation is God's reputation. Your reputation is God's reputation. He says, do these things that the word of God may not be reviled. Realize that your credibility on the mission field is built less on your theological accuracy and far more on the character that you display in the world. Right? It's built way more on that. And you realize that. And what we don't necessarily need nowadays is more accomplished women or independent women or liberated women. What we need is godly women who in their godliness, by God's grace, for God's glory, then display godly accomplishment and godly independence and godly empowerment and godly freedom. Right? We need the godly part of that tagged into all of these great virtues that women should display in our culture. Godly. 
In fact, I close with a great quote I came across. It says, The spirit of godly womanhood is present in the woman who, with courage and fortitude, perseveres through many challenges of life. She realizes that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and consequently strives for the principled course of action. There is nothing easy about being a godly woman. Nothing easy about being a godly woman. It is a difficult thing. Just as much as being a godly man is a difficult thing. But it's where we choose in grace to strive for the principle action. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for laughter. And I thank you for seriousness. And I pray that you use all of these for your glory as you shape us into the people that you want us to be. We love you and praise you in your awesome name.